Last Word with Matt Cooper. Weekdays from 4.30. Conor Gallagher, the security and crime correspondent of the Irish Times, has a very interesting report today on a new agreement between Ireland and NATO to counter threats posed by Russia. Uh, Conor, I suppose there are many listeners who might think, what agreement is there in the first place to be replaced? Yeah, so a brief history lesson. Ireland's engagement with NATO goes back all the way to 1997 uh, when we joined the uh, peacekeeping mission in uh, Kosovo and uh, the former Balkan states, to, uh, uh, which was under NATO uh, control. Uh, then two years later, we officially signed up for Partnership for Peace, which is the partnership program NATO operates with non-members to try improve interoperability and build up their security apparatus without uh, tying those countries into a common defence agreement that applies to, to other full NATO members. So, now, what is happening that's new and different? So, that agreement has been going on for, you know, going on 25 years now, but since the Russian invasion of Ukraine in February 2022, NATO has been uh, re-evaluating itself and re-evaluating its ability to counter Russian aggression, that's potential Russian military aggression, and this uh, whole uh, thing of hybrid hybrid threats, so aggression that falls below the, the threshold of, of, of military action, and that could be, well, Russian ships off the western coast, uh, potentially mapping cables, that could be election interference, spreading disinformation in a, in a country, uh, it could be cyber attacks, and, and we've had experience of, of some, if not all of those, in recent years, and one of the focuses of the Madrid summit was to uh, build up the uh, awareness and the defences of non-NATO members, but NATO partners, to those defences and that's or to those threats, and that's where this new agreement was kind of first uh, 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 drawn up. But uh, so we've just entered into it, started 2024. It's going to last for four years, and it outlines a number of areas where we're going to cooperate quite closely with NATO to increase our defences. There was an allegation this week that Ireland is freeloading off NATO and is a backdoor threat to British security from Russia, Chinese and Iranian actors. Is there any merit to that suggestion which did come from a Conservative UK think tank? Yeah, uh, a very, very influential think tank. I suppose what, what gives it a little bit more significance is it was endorsed uh, uh, by two former uh, UK security ministers, one of whom is a former sec-gen of NATO. So it's quite pointed down saying Ireland is freeloaded off NATO, and unfair to an extent, but it is undeniable that we have we do benefit from being under the NATO umbrella. Uh, we do benefit from being close to the UK, who patrol our skies on occasion, um, and we do benefit from other navies uh, coming in and helping to patrol our uh, exclusive economic zone. So there are failings there. I suppose the question is, how do we want to address those failings? Do we want to build up our own security forces, or do we want to continue, but more officially perhaps rely on assistance from other countries. And how important might that assistance be, particularly with things like cybersecurity, given the Russian interests in this country in maybe the American multinationals that are located here, the undersea cables that connect the United States to the European Union? I, uh, of course, it's not just Russia, it's China as well have, have huge interests, arguably greater interests in the kind of industrial and economic side of things in terms of the multinationals here, in terms of um, industrial espionage, that sort of thing. Um, so 
that stuff is very, very difficult to, to tackle on your own, even for a country with a well-resourced military and, and uh, intelligence service. So you're always going to have to rely on, on, on cooperation with other countries. We have been doing that. Part of this new agreement is we're going to do this more in a more structured way. And the main thing of this new agreement is NATO are going to come in, consult with Irish generals and, and, and the government officials who will outline where they feel their failings and the gaps are in Irish security, and there are many. And they will set goals, they will help us implement those goals, and in a few years' time they'll come back and grade us on how we've achieved those goals. And then the whole process will start again with a new set of goals. Professor Dunnico Boyacon is with us as well, Professor of Politics at Dublin City University. Dunnico, does this imply that while Ireland may be militarily neutral and is not a member of NATO, that in some respects we're almost like an off-balance sheet, quasi-member of NATO. Uh, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't go that far. But as, as Connor said, there are vulnerabilities, and you know there has to be ways found to you know identify and meet those vulnerabilities. And we don't have the resources, or at least we haven't prioritised the resources. Ireland spends less on defence and security than any other EU member state per capita, about zero point two percent of GNP. So in a way, you know, this is kind of like a in the best case scenario is is a win-win whereby it's in the interests of our partners uh, in, in in the European Union, for example, uh, to have that kind of you know the, the huge Atlantic sphere which Ireland is a part of uh, well protected. But it's also in 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 our interests as well. And uh, I don't think there's a you know a popular will to spend a lot of more money on on security and defence. So outsourcing. Uh, you know, these kinds of um, responsibilities, which we have form in, um, you know, that's, that's considered, I think, something optimal politically. But is it a dilution of our sovereignty if you consider sovereignty to be in the need to protect ourselves? Well, I mean, you can always argue that small states, in, in, you know, always have a different, uh, you know, flexibility and maneuverability in international affairs, uh, you know, and indeed we saw that last night when, you know, Vladimir Putin was, was, was giving his lengthy two-hour interview. He more or less you know, ruled out sovereignty and autonomy for small states. He, he wants only to talk to, to, to Washington, D.C. directly. And, 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 and he even when he gave his long monologue in history, more or less that that's kind of the, the, the fate of, 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 of smaller entities. So, you know, Ireland as, as, as a small, non-aligned, militarily non-aligned state, you know, we have partners. Um, and sovereignty is not something that's pristine and absolute. It's something that's been shared. It's been shared for many years. I mean, I remember well talking to Finnish MEPs, for example, and they saying to me that, you know, we used to be a neutral state and then we joined the European Union in the mid-1990s and we ceased to be neutral. And I, I thought to myself, that's not the way Irish people perceive neutrality. But, you know, for them, they were signing up to a much larger collaboration and cooperative effort. And it's one that we've been part of for more than 50 years now. Just go back to that Tucker Carlson interview with Vladimir Putin. I brought it up with Carl Thomas earlier in the programme, but how concerned would you be that it could further undermine American support for the Ukrainian resistance and that that might leave it to fall even further on the shoulders of the European Union to, to help Ukraine? Well, certainly that was the intention. Whether it's the effect is another matter. I mean, it is a pivotal time. There are debates in the Senate. There is, you know, a large uh, body of opinion in the kind of uh, the MAGA group, as it's called, Make America Great Again, the Trump Party. They're very much in favor of stopping all aid to Ukraine immediately. 
And, and, you know, as Vladimir Putin said last night, he was making a direct pitch, essentially, to the American people. He was saying, look, Ukraine is in Russia's interest, but is it really in your interest? You have a huge national debt of, of, of trillions. You have other problems to deal with. You know, is this the best way of spending your, your, your taxpayers' dollars? And, 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 you know, you've made a mistake, but you can revert, uh, you can re retreat from that mistake. And if you do, if you stop supporting Ukraine... This will all be over in weeks, he said, which was, which was, I think, the most chilling part of the interview because we all know what it means like, to be over when it comes to a Russian invasion. So he's essentially saying, we can wipe them out if you just step aside. You're, you're prolonging this unnecessarily. So you know, that will have a resonance with the America First constituency, you know, which, is, which has always been there in American politics. I mean, you know, going back even a century when they stayed out of the League of Nations, you know, they, they, there are periods of American history where they want to retreat from world affairs. People get angry, of course, when America gets too involved in world affairs, but also it, it, can, it can enhance instability in some parts of the world when America withdraws completely. And certainly a premature and, un and disorganized withdrawal of American support from Ukraine would be a very dangerous scenario for European security. And one final one then, given that the Ukrainian president, Vladimir Zelensky, has sacked his military commander-in-chief, Valery Zalumpi. How worrying is that? Would that indicate that the Ukrainians themselves are starting to get very worried about being unable to fulfil their ambition of expelling the Russian invaders? Not necessarily. There's a lot of theory circulating about why this happened. I mean, there had been quite a public kind of disagreement between them for some time. I mean, obviously, uh, when things go well, both are looking to take the credit. And, you know, Vladimir Zelensky, of course, is, 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 is representing the political wing. Uh, Zeluzhny was representing the, the military wing. When things go badly, of course, again, nobody wants to be responsible. I mean, so Zeluzhny was responsible for all the victories. And, and the stalemate, which we've seen uh, over the last few months, I mean, that's also on his watch. So, you know, there's no sense that his, his successor has any different vision or any different strategy. And what opinion polls showed in Ukraine was that Zeluzhny actually was more popular than Zelensky. And some, some argue that it may be just a, a matter of, 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 of sidelining somebody uh, who was quite outspoken because he's, uh, he gave a very interesting interview just before Christmas where he said that, look, there's going to be no military breakthrough in Ukraine unless we receive some kind of transformational weaponry. You know, you can't expect us with the resources we have and the, the numbers we have to make major breakthroughs uh, against well-entrenched positions unless we receive much better weaponry. And that was kind of more or less seen as undermining Zelensky in a way because Zelensky is supposed to be making those pitches to the Europeans and to the Americans. And, uh, and as I said, it, it, it's, it's kind of, he, he was a very kind of larger than life figure, still is. Uh, it's not quite clear what he will do. Uh, Zelensky in his tweet said that he's, he proposed that he remain part of the team, but didn't specify what uh, that exactly meant. Okay, thank you very much, Professor Domenico Abuecon from DCU and Conor Gallagher, security and crime correspondent of the Irish Times. The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Weekdays from 4.30. Today.